Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. That's good. So we got special effects lighting and... I, I heard it was like an accident that the lighting's happening, but I'm thinking that if it lands on you, you have to give an immediate testimony. How about that? <laughs> Stand up and say something. How could that go wrong? So a couple of things uh, as we kind of celebrate. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, we're going to be facing a few challenges here over the next few months, and uh, they will involve space, and uh, uh, that'll really be put to the test next week. So, uh, you know, we haven't done a, a full Easter here in a while. Uh, last uh, year, we did a big service out in the patio outside at the early, early part of the day. Uh, so it'll be really interesting next week to see if we can accommodate everybody. So uh, here's how you can help. Uh, you can think about the fact that lots of people like to come at 10 a.m. I don't know if you've noticed that, <laughs> that, uh, that most people feel most comfortable uh, that's not only true of uh, folks that have been around a while, that's true of new folks who might be trying out church on a Sunday. Uh, so it's always nice if there's a place for them to sit uh, when they try it out. So 8 o'clock is a wonderful time to come to service. And then 9 a.m. at Pasadena, uh, you know, it'll be kind of packed house over there, but that's a great space. And then back here at 10 a.m. and then at 11.30. So uh, you can always think about 8 o'clock and 11.30 uh, as good alternatives, or come visit us at 10, 9 if that fits into your schedule better. But uh, bring somebody with you. Let's celebrate Easter. Uh, let me make one other announcement that's really important. You may have noticed that things are beginning to happen. Uh, the abatement work has all been done on all of the buildings that are coming down, and so uh, we do have uh, the cocoon of construction around us now. And uh, two weeks from today, following the service... Uh, if you are 16 or older and a member of this congregation, we're going to have a ballot for you, a vote for you. Uh, the bylaws of the church are such that we, don't, we can't take out the construction loan until you say that's okay. Uh, I told the powers that be that you voted with your generosity, and they said that was not adequate. <laughs> so, uh, so just to note that, uh, we'll announce it again next week and two weeks from today following the service, you'll be invited to probably go somewhere out on that side of the building, check your name off a list. If you're unsure, if you're a member, you can call the office and we'll let you know. Uh, and uh, by the way, on the events page, we are having a membership class coming up in a few weeks, so you can think about that too. We're celebrating this final piece of the celebration of the sayings from the cross. It is finished. It is finished. John writes in the book of Revelation, he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Years ago, the Gaithers wrote a, a song called It Is Finished, and, and I really like the words, and I think they matter to you and they matter to me, and maybe you identify with it. Uh, listen to how they go. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. On that cross, a battle is raging for the gain of man's soul or its loss. The earth shakes with the force of the conflict. The sun refuses to shine. For there hangs God's son in the balance. And then through the darkness he cries, It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There will be no more war.
It is finished, the end of the conflict. It is finished, and Jesus is Lord. Yet in my heart, the battle was raging. Not all prisoners of war have come home. They were battlefields of my own making. Didn't know that the war had been won. Then I heard that the king of all ages had won all the battles for me and that victory was mine for the claiming. And now, praise his name, I am free. It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There'll be no more war. I guess what I would want to ask you this morning is where is the battlefield raging in your story, in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your family, in your spirit? It doesn't do us a God of good to talk about the things we're about to talk about. If somewhere in there, there is not a connection between what is happening to you and what happened that day on the cross, what that triumphant entry meant and what it introduced us to in the ongoing work of the Passion Week, unless we can connect these two things together, unless somehow it has significance to you, to your story, to your life, to your feelings, to, to your relationships, to your finances, to your physical health, unless there's some way of putting that together And I suppose if I could sum it all up, I I think maybe what I would say is what John is teaching us and what we're learning in the way John tells the story that he tells is that it's going to be okay. You are going to be okay. Whatever you bring up, you're going to be okay. Well, you don't know about the diagnosis. You're going to be okay. Yeah, but you don't know about my family. You're going to be okay. Well, you don't know about our family. You're going to be okay. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all there before we fix our eyes not on what is seen because what is seen is temporary, but on what is unseen because what is unseen is eternal. And I don't know about you, but I find myself doing this a lot. I look around a lot. I look around a lot. You know, I, I just have the ability to focus on the things that are happening right now, and I make them the most important thing. I'm the only one, Right? And I'll be honest, you know, here's the thing. When you get out there and, and you're, you're just turning on the news or listening to the radio or listening to somebody talk, <laughs> there's a lot going on. There's a lot of divisive craziness going on in this world. And it doesn't take very long to get depressed. Cartoons. Yeah, cartoons are great. <laughs> and I think sometimes, you know, people say, well, you go to church to escape reality. Oh, no, no. No, you go to church to escape to reality. Because let me tell you something. What's going on out there? No. By the way, I did hear Colton say that if I say something good, you're supposed to wave your palm branches. <laughs> Just tell you, so far, you got like a D minus working right there. So I know you're thinking it's going to get better. Let me just assure you. If, <laughs> if something good happens now, please wave the branches. You have no assurance it's going to get better. Listen, we come into this place to get our eyes from the things that are going on around us and get them up. And these words, it is finished. The battle is over. I love this story. I've told it a lot of times, but there's a story about a fresh from seminary pastor that gets elected to a new church and he walks into his new sanctuary. He's looking around and he looks over and the custodian is sitting in the seat next to him and he's reading his Bible and he looks over his shoulder and he's reading the book of Revelation. And he says, wow, that's, that's heady stuff you got going there. I've been studying it for a while. How, how do you feel about what you're reading there? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, do you think you understand what's going on? Yeah. Really? 
Really, you think you... I, I, I spent a lot of years trying to untangle that. What, well, you think you, I think I got it. What do you think it means? It means God wins. <laughs> Amen? Thank you. All right, now it's just distracting. Stop it. I, th- I just thought I wanted you to do that for a minute. <laughs> so when you think about the Gospels and you think about the way they tell the story of the passion of the Christ, beginning with this day in which we celebrate Palm Sunday and Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, you, you know, we talk about the synoptic Gospels. And the synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels because they have sync optics. They tell the story from the same perspective. They tell us that he was born and that he lived and that he taught and that he went to the Passion Week and that he died. And that's a great way to tell it. It's a linear kind of telling of the story, and that's how most of us think, and we like the linear kind of storytelling. But there is another gospel, and that gospel is the book of John. And John is not a synoptic gospel. He does not tell the story in the same way. And so what I'd like to do for you very briefly is just give you sort of a a shotgun blast of what John is doing. And John tells us in the opening, or towards the end of his gospel in chapter 20, why he has put together this gospel. This is what he writes, chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How's that going for you? This life in his name. This sense of joy and peace and purpose and trust and rest. It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There'll be no more war. I can take a deep breath. I can relax. Whatever is coming at me, whatever might happen, there is no sense in which everything has to work out perfectly in this life in order for me to feel like there's any sort of fulfillment of the promise of God. God's promise is bigger and deeper and wider than that, which is what, by the way, this week is all about, (laughs) that the promise of God cannot be contained into the days of the lives that we walk on this planet. And so to stop and to think about how John tells the story in a sweeping epic. You know how the story begins. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface, and the Spirit of God was hovering, and He said, Let there be light. And there was light, and it was good. So we know how the story starts. And what I want you to notice is the story starts in the beginning. There was creation, and there was light, and there was life. And if you read Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, you're going to hear this over and over. Light and life and la da da And so what does John do? When John opens his gospel, he takes us to the very point of creation. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Reminiscent at all? Light and life and creation, John 1.10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. 
but the one and only God who is himself God and is in closest relationship the Father with the Father has made him known. That's just chapter 1. Like you can, you can take, say this about some of the other gods, because they do things. They do stylized things. They'll do things like, don't tell anyone. You know, don't tell anyone. We know who you are. Don't tell anyone. Those are the other gospel writers. John, page one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Without Him, nothing was made. He wants to set this epic at the foundations of creation. Why did He write it? So that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing this, you might have life in His name. I want you to have life. In the middle of his gospel, he has Jesus say, the thief comes only to steal and to kill, but I've come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. Who's winning? Who's winning in your story? Who's winning in your life? Who's winning in your emotions? Who's winning in your thoughts? It is finished. It is finished. (laughs) It's a big, big statement that he makes on the cross. He highlights in 121 the fact that there is a forerunner, a prophetic forerunner. They ask him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent it. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Why does it matter? Because he's saying, listen, you know the prophets said that there would have to be a forerunner to the messianic story. And I want chapter 1 to let you know that John, in quoting Isaiah, calls himself the forerunner. I'm the one who was to pave the way for the coming of the Messiah. I want you to get focused at the very beginning. John 1.29, not only was he, did, did the forerunner act, but also he was called the chosen one. The next day, John saw Jesus coming forward, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself didn't know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. That's strong testimony right away. We're still in chapter 1, chapter 3. What happens? Nicodemus comes. One of the heads of the Pharisees comes. The, The most powerful group in all of Judaism comes to Jesus and said, We know that you could not do the things you do except you are anointed by God. John wants us to know. Here's a forerunner. He is spoken of as the chosen one. Even the highest-ranking Jewish officials have to admit that God is anointing him and leading him. And then anybody know what happens in chapter 4? He encounters the woman at the well. And he begins to speak to her, and she says, you know, uh, I can see you are a prophet. Let me ask you a question. Our folks, the Samaritans, say we worship on this mountain, and you Jews say you have to worship on the mountain in Jerusalem. Which one is it? I know someday the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain all of these things to us. I tell you, you won't worship on this mountain or on that mountain, but the followers that God desires are those that worship Him in spirit and in truth. I know the Messiah is coming. Someday He'll explain it. I, it's chapter 4, I who speak to you am He. He's not holding back on the 
reveal at the end. The anointed one, the one who claims himself to be, and then we have this powerful moment of coronation, chapter 12. The next day, the crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and he went out to meet them, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. It is written, Don't be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey colt. And at first the disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world has gone after him. The Psalms that are spoken here are the Psalms of Halal, the 112th through the 118th, specifically the 118th. And so just a little, some things. Everybody doing okay? I I know. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) That's good. Uh, So the Psalms of Halal. So they hark back. The the things that are being spoken on the words, on the lips of the people in John's account are the closing words in which they are celebrating uh, around the Feast of Tabernacles. So, So let's get our heads into that for just a minute. So the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration, and, and early on it became a commemoration of uh, the, the return from exile, uh, the celebration of Nehemiah and the rededication of the walls. And so as a part of that celebration, the great psalms of ascent, the songs of praise, the songs of hello, were spoken. And so the tradition was that they would gather palm branches and various other date branches and some other things, and they would bind them together in something called a lulab. So you kind of have the beginnings of a lulab in your hand. And, uh, and so at the Feast of Tabernacles on day one, everyone would gather in the morning. They would take their lulabs that they had all put together, symbolizing the tabernacles, the fact that they were wandering people, that they built, you know, tabernacles to live in. And, and so then they would take and they would march around the temple in celebration. Day one, they would march. Day two, they would march. Day three, day and then day seven, seven times in the celebration, and they would sing the songs of halal. They would sing the songs of praise and celebration, the, the psalms of return from exile, deliverance from exile. They were home, they were home, they were home, they were home. A few hundred years later, at the end of the Seleucid dynasty, Judas Maccabeus rises to power. He overthrows the Seleucid dynasty, 167 B.C., and so we finally have a, an independent Israel. For a hundred years, we'll have an independent Israel. Uh, we call that series of kings the Hasmonean dynasty. And in celebration of the great deliverance of Israel from the hand of the Seleucids, the, the, they sang the songs of Halal. They now celebrated Judas Maccabeus as the conqueror. So we have Nehemiah as the person who brought him back from exile. We have the tradition of the conqueror and Judas Maccabeus. And now we have Jesus descending the Mount of Olives. And what are they singing? It's not the Feast of Tabernacles right now. And yet they're singing the Psalms of Halal, of deliverance, of the return from exile, and of the conquering leader. It's a powerful moment. 
It's a moment when John wants his readers to understand. He wants to layer in all of the symbolism so all of us get the message. I am writing these things to you so that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in knowing so, you would have life. Are we? Is that where we rest? Is that what we think? Is that how we move and work and understand the things that are happening around us? So John's account, chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips, And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Just a few short verses there. And yet John has packed them with symbolism. He's packed them with grammar that is telling a story inside the story. Let me unpack it for you. Number one, as he takes to his lips... The wine vinegar, it is a fulfillment. And John says he's doing this to fulfill the prophetic words from Psalms 69, 21. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. It's just one more little attention to detail so that John is saying, this is him. Don't miss it. Don't be confused. Don't be lost. This is where you put your hope. This is where you put your focus. This is where you put your strength. Number two. He's not only giving us this truth that prophecy is fulfilled, but he's telling us that sin is atoned for. That sin is atoned for. He says that this wine vinegar is put on a sponge and it's put on the stalk of a hyssop plant. How many of you have ever had some hyssop? Anybody? Look at there. The people who've been to Jerusalem have had some hyssop. Yeah, because when you go to Israel, you can get yourself what they call a Jerusalem bagel. And a Jerusalem bagel is just a big bagel. Like, it's a big bagel. Like, it's a big bagel. No, I don't mean like, it's like, you know, it's an oblong thing, weird. Yeah. And when you get your Jerusalem bagel, they'll also give you a little container of hyssop. And you can dip your bagel in the hyssop. It's just an herb. It's pretty good. Hyssop. If you've seen a picture of the Western Wall, you've probably seen that there are plants growing out of the Western Wall. Have you noticed that? Anybody seen a picture of the Western Wall lately? If only I had a photo. Look sometime. What do you think that plant is growing between the cracks? It's hyssop. You guys are good. Hyssop. Hyssop. It grows wild. It's, It's common. It's kind of everywhere. And why is that so significant? Well, on the night that the children of Israel are leaving Egypt, the first Passover, when they sacrifice the lamb, they take hyssop and dip in the blood and paint the doorpost with hyssop. The hyssop is a bush. It's a a brush plant. It's it's small and ungainly. It, It doesn't actually have a stalk. It It just kind of grows in a clump. The priest then traditionally, based on the first Passover, every year, every sacrifice would use the hyssop plant 
to sprinkle the blood of the animal on the mercy seat inside the temple. For hundreds of years now, the hyssop plant had been a part of the atonement process. And though it does not grow a stalk, John tells us, they put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant. Why does he tell us that? Because he wants us to know. This is a piece of the atonement. The blood that is being shed in this moment is the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And in the tradition of the first Passover and in the tradition of the priestly tradition, the hyssop is used in this moment to signify the atonement. Every Jew who heard this, every Jew who heard this story would go, wow, wow, wow. And then finally, God's plan is completed. When he received the drink, he said it is finished. The language here is really powerful. The word that John uses to describe this scene. Now, and this is interesting. John is the only person that records this for us. What do the other gospel writers say about this moment? And he cried out in a loud voice. Now, we could speculate a few things here. Uh, we could speculate this. We could speculate that John was often closer and heard things that other people didn't hear. So if you read John's gospel, remember, he's not one of the synoptics. He's telling a whole different story. He's got way more information. So if you read about the Last Supper, you'll read about the Last Supper and the other gospels. That'll take you about five minutes because they just tell you they went in and they had some food and then they died. Blah, blah. John dedicates chapters to the scene. It's John's account that tells us that 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 he got up from the table and he wrapped a towel around himself and he began to wash their feet. Chapter 13. He goes into the, all the detail. He talks to us about the new command I give you to love one another as I have loved. We're going to celebrate this Thursday, Monday Thursday. Why do we call it Monday Thursday? Because at the Last Supper, he says, a new command I give you. A new, in Latin, that's mandatum. A new command, a new mandate I give you that you love one another. Monday, Thursday has come to us out of that command to love each other. It's John who gives us that, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe also in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not told you, if it were not so, I would have told you. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Vivid, vivid, vivid details of this moment. Chapters dedicated to it. When we go to Israel, we get a, a permission to be in the private part of the Garden of Gethsemane. And when we go to the private part of the Garden of Gethsemane, we don't do a lot of things there, but we do read John 17. The high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden. The only account of what he prayed as he anguished in the Garden. Matthew gives us, let this cup pass from me. John gives us an entire chapter of what he prayed. Scholars think he probably could hear. He was a part of the three that went closer with him. And now here he is at the cross. Hearing something that perhaps the other disciples didn't hear, remembering something, seeing something, he cried out in a loud voice, but John says, this is what he said. It is finished. It is finished. And when John describes the phrase, he uses a word in Greek that says, I have completed everything that the Father gave me to do. The word itself means the completion of a task set out 
in advance, the completion. It was all finished. There's nothing left undone. The work has been completely done. Everything that God envisioned in the reconciliation of human beings with a loving God has been accomplished. It is finished. I can lay down my life. The, prophet, the prophets have been fulfilled. The work has been done. The sacrifice has been made. But it's also spoken in the perfect tense. It's always interesting when an author places something in a tense that doesn't quite fit. It means on purpose he's using an awkward construction to tell us something. And the perfect tense means this action will continue to be effective from now on. It didn't just happen once in the past. It happened and it continues to do the effective work it was intended to do from this moment on. This completed work continues to be active and at work in the lives of his followers and then he gives us one final thing to think about. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John wants us to know his life was not taken from him, but he willingly gave it up. The question that I have for you this morning is really simple. Does all of this get into a mindset in your journey, in your heart, in your emotions, in your life in which you say... God is taking care of me. Not just God is taking care of me, but God has taken care of me. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I am persuaded to believe that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not life, not death, not things present, not things to come, not powers, not principalities. This isn't in there, but it should be. Not politics. Amen? Not culture wars, not recession, or inflation, or COVID, or whatever the next thing is. Yeah, whatever. whatever. Do, do, do we ever just get up in the morning and go, I am persuaded to believe that God is working for my good. I'm persuaded to believe that he who began the good work is going to be... I'm persuaded, not because I have wishful, hopeful, Pollyanna thinking, because it is finished. The work's done. The battlefields are of my own making. I, I'm the one that can't quite receive it. I'm the one that can't quite get there and go, nevertheless, not what I want, it's what you want that matters, and it'll be okay. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we fix our eyes... Not on what is seen. How many of us can say that? Most of us wake up in the morning and we look in the mirror and that's what sticks with us. What we see. And it's not good. I got to just confess for a minute. I went to see somebody this week that I haven't seen in a while. And they said to me when they looked at me, they, they looked at me and said, Wow. Wow. You got old. That's a pick-me-up. I want to say, yeah, I got mirrors. I know. I see it every day. You just have to look at it every once in a while. How many of us, that is the story of our life. We, we, we see what we see. We think what we think. 
we put our eyes on things that are right in front of us and they are the most important, the most stressful, the most overwhelming thing, and, and we just stress over them and stress over them. I have come that you might have life. I have written these things so that you might know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by knowing this, you would have life in His name. Don't be distracted. Don't look around. Look up. Let the power of God hold you. It is finished. The battle is over. Not all prisoners of war have come home, but they are so often battlefields of my own making. And it's okay for me to say, the work's done. God's got this. I don't know how it'll go. What if this happens? That'll be okay. But what if that happens? That'll be okay, too. But what if that happens? That'll be okay, too. What if that, that you, you get the theme, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. We're going to close this service sharing communion and enter into this holy week. The feast is for his disciples. We're going to do something we haven't done in three years. We're going to pass the communion plates. Yeah. Now, that said, if you would like to have a prepackaged piece of communion. We understand that some of you are very careful and should be. So lift your hand while the ushers are serving. We have one person who has a basket. They will come to you. They will give you prepackaged. We want to take care of everyone. So know that's available to you. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to pray a prayer of repentance together. The feast is for his disciples. If you've never prayed a prayer of repentance, I invite you to pray one with us now. Take the elements, hold them until everybody has been served and we'll partake together. And then to, to just take a moment while we're being served. We're going to play an instrumental. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to just be in the moment and think about what this day means and what this week represents. And then at the, when everybody's been served, I'll come back and we'll partake together. God, thank you that you love us in this way that you make provision for us, that you work in our hearts and lives and minds and spirits, and that you've come that we might have life and have it in abundance. And I pray for every person that's in this room and those that are listening online and will listen through the course of this week, could we just lay down a few things? Maybe just think about our own thoughts and the things that cause us to be afraid or anxious or overwhelmed or worried or sad. Could we lay them at your feet and then welcome your strength into our bodies? The elements we hold represent the truth of this week. God is for us and not against us. He who did not spare his own son that gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? I pray that you would apportion grace through these elements to each person as they have need. We prepare our hearts for this table by confessing to you our sins. We're thankful that your word promises when we confess you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now we dedicate these elements to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life, take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life, take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. Now, God, we give you thanks. We give you honor and praise for what this day and this week represent. And my prayer for this congregation is that through the course of this week, you would remind them again and again and again and again that it is finished. There is reason to be joyful. There is reason to be optimistic. And now we respond to your word and give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said together... Will you stand? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.